0: Because I realized that I betrayed myself. I betrayed my younger parts of myself, the things that mattered most to me, to uphold the system that never served me. And I think men, when they look at what they think is benefiting them, they realize underneath them there's no benefit to upholding the system. There's not one. And if there was benefits, then we would see men being happy, being embodied, being successful, right? But instead, we're seeing the opposite. And I think that needs to be more visible. And when it's more visible, we see that there's no benefit to upholding the system. We're harming ourselves, and we're harming everyone around us.
1: Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast. We are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shana Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine Podcast. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine Podcast. This is Lauren here, and I am lit up by the conversation I just had with Jeremiah Lotemo. He is, wow, I cried several times in this in this recording, and I'm so deeply moved by him. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. Listen to the whole thing. He's so beautiful. I feel like I've waited my whole life to hear men say these words. So without further ado, Jeremiah Lotemo is a poet a writer and a transformational coach based in Atlanta. He helps men live from their deepest core by integrating their deepest shadows. Jeremiah, welcome. It's an honor to have you.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I'm so, so happy to be here with you today.
1: So tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your background and how did you come to this work?
0: So I was born in Congo and... I left when I was about five and moved to the States, but my family on my father's side is Congolese. On my mother's side is Rwandanese. And on her family, we migrated from Ethiopia. So we moved to America when I was around five. And then from there, I had a lot of, a huge culture shock (laughs) at a young age, multiple times. Um, And from there I learned when I became maybe 18 or 17, that throughout my whole life, I was just essentially like masking. I didn't really know who I was because I was constantly in different environments. We moved a lot when I was a kid. So from there, I really didn't know who I was because I was always kind of shifting and adapting to my environment and whatever people needed me to be. So even in being in schools and being around kids and things like that, I realized like around my senior year of high school, I I don't know who I am. I've just been camouflaging to whatever everyone needed me to be. And so from there, like when I was 17, 18, I had a very, I would say that was my first little awakening to where I was like, wait, who am I? You know, I really was asking that question and I stopped, I got exhausted by wearing the mask all of the time. I was really tired. And so from there, that led me into a couple of deep questions in my early teens. And then around when I was 23, I went to another deep awakening, which is when I realized that I had already told myself I wouldn't become like, you know, my father, And I really started seeing myself actually embody some of the same qualities that I was essentially despised or feared of becoming that I saw in him. And I saw myself embodying those qualities. And that for me was a wake up call to start to discover more of like, what is, who am I? Like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to love a woman from a deep and centered place? So that led me into a lot of work that I'm now doing today and sharing with other men and women and supporting them in that journey of, integrating some very, very deep, deep shadows that I've recognized in myself that actually led me to embody these misguided, what I call misguided aspects of the masculine. And um, from there, now I share that with men and support them in that journey.
1: I really appreciate the work you do. And I'm curious about the journey of healing and integrating those shadows and how it's impacted your relationship and understanding with your father.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so my father passed away when I was really young. So we moved from Africa, but when we left, he stayed. So my biological father stayed in Africa. So I never, I don't have a picture of him. I don't even know what he looks like. I recently actually got a picture of him two years ago and my mom finally showed me a picture of him. So up until this time, I, I didn't know what my father looked like. But I was raised by my uncle. And throughout that period, I had a very difficult relationship with, you know, my my uncle that was raising me as my father. And, you know, a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of physical abuse. But for me, it was more about seeing myself show up in relationships in a way that was actually hurting the people around me. Even though on some level, I knew I was just trying to protect myself, but it was the recognition of the pain that I was actually causing people that actually woke me up out of this state that I was in, like this constant need to protect myself. And it was recognizing the impact that I actually, like the harm I was actually causing on my mother, right? So it first happened in my relationships and then it trickled into realizing how I was harming my mother in different ways, right? I developed some kind of codependent relationship with my mom, but through that she would always essentially rescue me. Like I didn't have moments to take responsibility or ownership of my own life because she was coming in and rescuing me. And I realized how exhausting that probably was for her. And so through that time, I think for myself and even for men, the biggest moments when we begin to transform is when we start to take responsibility for how our feelings and emotions are actually impacting other people, right? So I think there was a level of privilege that I was operating from as a man to where I don't have to take responsibility for how I'm operating and how that's, harming those around me right i can just project my feelings onto the world and the world is essentially designed to cater to that right it's designed to feed my illusions of you know i'm a man so the world has to cater to me in some shape or form so when i was able to recognize the harm i was causing and to sit with that harm and sit with that pain that's when i started to wake up and and then that transformed how I showed up in my relationships. Um, but I think I was also blessed to have a very deep connection to my own inner feminine presence, because in light of having a father that was very tyrant and operating in this very unintegrated masculine expression, my pendulum swung the opposite way. So instead of embodying or you know becoming what I feared, I really actually chose to embody the qualities of my mother. Right. Which where she was on in her own disempowered state, which was kind of this selfless, you know, uh, people pleasing and just caretaking to the world. Right. And abandoning herself. I started to lean more to those qualities. But the benefit of that was I had a very level of like openness and vulnerability and curiosity and, you know, a, a very well sharpened intuition. So as I came into my spiritual journey, those aspects of me were very they supported me in my kind of like my masculine refinement because it was already there. And I knew that the depths of what I wanted to see within my own shadows, I had no issue with facing them because I had this kind of cultivated, this feminine presence within myself that wasn't afraid of my depths, right? So I think that really supported me in that work because I was like, oh, I can go here. I can keep going here and I could expand those emotional capacities because I had already met myself on that level in terms of like my own inner feminine relationship. So that was something that was really huge for me to start, you know, doing in my in, in my own solitude, but actually practicing in my relationships as well.
1: When you acknowledged that you had this awakening of the harm you were causing your mother, I mm-hmm. had tears in my eyes. I That was such mm-hmm. a powerful statement. And I know that's a very personal statement to you, but there's such a collective meaning behind that the way we're hurting our mother (laughs) and I'm really touched by the acknowledgement of the feminine presence in you and that empathy that comes with the feminine presence that's really a superpower and I believe the medicine that our world needs because like you said it enabled you to really look and hold the depths And I think that every single woman just wants to be acknowledged, respected, and honored for her depth and her range. And I really felt that in you, in your capacity.
0: Yeah, 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 thank you.
1: I'm curious also about, you know, you acknowledge so beautifully your privilege as a man, but also you came to a country that is colonized and full of white supremacy and racism. And so while you have privilege in one way, you also have the experience of being the oppressed in another, which is a really powerful position, one that I identify with as a woman and also being white. It's a Mm -hmm. unique position that I think gives you a unique look into the dynamic between oppressor and oppressed and have empathy for both. Yeah. Do you relate yeah. to that?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I always say, um, because when I came from Africa, I was like five years old. This was like 1999. And the reason we actually had to leave was because when I was born, my mom is from Rwanda. There was a There was a Rwandan genocide taking place the year I was born. So in 94, there was, you know, a lot of war. There was a civil war, but there were also two civil wars in Congo before I left. So I don't remember anything before five because there was just so much birth trauma. Like I entered into a state of violence, you know, death, you know, betrayal between brothers, you know, and tribes. So it was really intense for me. But, you know, I feel, I always say my life began when I was seven because that's my earliest memory. But the reason when we left, there was a host family that was able to take us in. And this host family was two beautiful, kind, elderly white people. And they were some of the sweetest human beings I've ever met. And this was my first. So for me, I always say I'm grateful for that experience because this was my first encounter. Right. And in Africa, I can't recall, you know, ever meeting somebody that was white. So I come into Oregon. We moved to Portland, Oregon. And. I'm surrounded by this community and we go to the churches there all of the time. And there, I'm being met with nothing but kindness. My family is taken care of. My parents are being taught how to navigate this difficult world that they're now, you know, having to get accustomed to very rapidly. So I'm viewing all of this and I'm like, wow, there's, I'm growing in appreciation for that. And then I have people that are always coming by taking care of me, babysitting me and where my parents are working. Right. So from that, I developed a very, deep, deep level of gratitude. And then we moved to Virginia and it was kind of the same situation. We were in a suburban area. There was, you know, very few. I had one other Black friend at my school. So I was, it was very difficult for me to, you know, recognize what was happening, right? Like how, for me, what's happening inside of myself and how there's an absence of, you know, like a Black community. And then I moved to Atlanta. So this is a huge culture shock. Because I'm coming from these environments that I'm probably meeting another person the only Black people in the school. And then I come to Atlanta and I'm like, whoa, like this is, and I went through a complete culture shock. I just didn't know how, I didn't even realize that I didn't know how to communicate with my own people, right? So from there, what I would say is when I got to Atlanta is when I became aware of, let's say, the other side, right? And the other side was that level of oppression that you're talking about. Like at a young age, when I was maybe 14, I then became aware of that, right? I started hearing about it in the schools. I started hearing my own people talk about this other side of it. And it was also a shock to me, you know, because my other, my expression, my experience wasn't that. So for me, I say I'm grateful for that because then as I got older, I was interested in my own history, right? I was interested in Africa. I started learning more about, you know, what what has taken place, you know, between my ancestors and Some of the things they had to deal with. So for me, I'm grateful for that experience because it helped me balance out that level of, uh, let's say, rage, right? That level of anger, right? With, With the ability to empathize and to understand and to actually, you know, not jumble everyone up into one group. So I was really blessed to have that experience. And I can't say most people have that experience. And that allowed me to kind of balance and integrate both understandings at, at once, but still honor the part of me that was outraged, that was upset, that was experiencing deep levels of oppression still today, right? But also balance it with an understanding of, uh, of what I experienced, like my own personal experience, you know, as, as a young boy. And, 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 and they didn't have to do that. You know, I would call them Grandma J and Grandma Z. Like they, they took me in and I saw them, you know, as a young child, as my grandparents in a way you know and 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 they loved me and i appreciated that so whenever i have those moments i integrate the understanding of my own direct experience and and i use that as a as a way to balance between the two
1: i'm really grateful you had that experience
0: yeah. and mm-hmm. i'm really
1: grateful that you know a man with such poetry in his soul which is so clear just in your presence and in the work you do and the way you see the world I'm so grateful that you have the platform that you do. I know it's it's a new thing for you, this, this large mm-hmm. platform. I'd love to hear about that. But this resonance in what you're saying, is it's medicine because, again, the feminine integration, you are able to hold the range of the experience, to honor the rage, the outrage, the grief, even like the madness of oppression. And then also do the shadow work of privilege and entitlement it's beautiful and I'd love you to share a little more about how you're relating to this position you're in
0: yeah yeah it's been really interesting because there has been a rewriting of a specific narrative that I've known since I was a kid and that narrative was me finding comfort in like being misunderstood Right? It was just like, no, the world doesn't get me. And then especially when I started to, even for me very early on, I had very different views of the world. And I was a gifted child. I could see things most people couldn't see. I was having very strange experiences. And as I got older, I was able to connect what experiences I was having, what I was actually viewing. But even when I went through this awakening you know, within my own masculinity to really develop and show up in the world, I didn't really see that same shift happening in the people that were around me. Like as far as my, 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 my peers, people within the same age group as, as me. And the only time I could really resonate with somebody, the only time I felt understood by somebody was people that were 40. You know, I, had, I have friends <laughs> at that time, you know, being 25, being 26, I had friends that were like 40, 50 with older kids. And those are the only people I felt understood with. Because the ideas, the things that I was understanding at such a young age, like superseded the amount of solar returns I've had, essentially, they superseded that. So I would be with, you know, older people, I would, you know, have sisters, I would call my sisters, but they were like 60 or 45 with three kids. (laughs) And I'm relating to them, because these are the only spaces I felt understood. Those are the only people that I felt like had gone to that depth. You know, and, and could understand me in those depths. And when I was around my own peers, I felt, you know, I had, would have had to shrink myself in a, in a way because some of the things that I was talking about, they weren't ready to see. Even to, between brothers, you know, some of the shadows I would be talking about that I saw within a relationship, I could tell that, you know, it made them uncomfortable, right? Because they were still holding up a facade. So early on, it was very difficult for me to like even believe that there was a world where my full truth could be accepted, right? My full truth could be welcomed, right? And I always kind of broke that out and say, oh, maybe pieces of myself can only be welcomed in these kind of groups. And I also did that in relationships. You know, I would think that nobody could come to the place that I'm at, so I would settle on my relationships. i be like, you know, I'm not going to hold somebody, you know, to, to, to come to this space, right, to match me in this frequency, Like, let me just drop down a few hertz, and then I can meet people, right? But in that, I wasn't being myself. So when I started being myself a bit more, when I started to actually recognize, and it was my relationship with the earth that actually transformed this, And that's why I think it's very important, even for men, to establish a deep connection with the earth. And it was through that relationship that I then found the courage to be myself, because Part of that wound for me was that I believed I didn't matter, but I also thought there was something wrong with me. I was like, why can't people understand me? You know, why can't, you know, people see me in my full light? Why can't all of me be here, right? So there's a mother wound there. And then my truth doesn't matter is my own father wounding, right? So through that, I then started really realizing that, you know, the earth gave me these gifts. Like there was something placed inside of me to share with the world. Because if I desire it, if I'm not seeing it in the world, then on some level, that means I'm the one that's supposed to bring it into the world, right? That desire wants to come through me and manifest itself, you know, through the collective, right? And so from that relationship, I started to heal that wound, right? And I started being more open. And then it was my own inner father cultivation that allowed me to create systems and processes and structure around my gifts for them to be seen, to be visible to the world. Because I realized the fact that I couldn't, I'm also an artist. I'm a visual artist. I paint, I I draw, and, and I even, you know, write poetry, but nobody ever would see my work because I was still afraid to share it with the world, right? And I felt and I understood that that was because I had an absence of a fatherly presence because my father was the one that was supposed to, you know, be there and initiate me into, you know, sharing my gifts with the world, like strengthening my image of myself, Right. Rooting me in my gifts and bring me back to my center, saying, "Hey, you have a purpose here, right? And that purpose is to share what's in your heart with everyone else, right? Not to contain it, not to hoard it, not to collect it, but to give it away freely, right? And so from there, I started to realize that a lot of what I was thinking was my own understanding or the way I wanted to move in the world was just hide, shrink, and I <laughs> move to the mountains and be a monk." I was like, wait, 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 why, why am I thinking about that? Why do I want to do that? And I was like, wait, if I give this to myself, if I start speaking to myself in the way that I wish others did, then what would change? And when I started doing that, that's when I saw all of these things start to transform and felt more open to sharing on Instagram, right? To speaking my full truth and to be well received in the way that I was received or have been received was really, really transforming because it helped me really rewrite that narrative. It was like kind of like the cherry on top because I had given that to myself. But to just see myself received in such a way really, really rewrote the whole narrative, you know.
1: I've been on the verge of tears this entire interview because I relate in so many ways to your story in different ways. And what you just said, the whole thing you just said, I I feel similarly. I feel similarly. And 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 I was I'm really inspired by your courage and the the inner father cultivation i'm inspired by that cuz i still am afraid sometimes of my perspectives because i always saw things a little differently i could see things that other people couldn't and i have the same experience of shrinking because when i would say something like there'd be this like blank stare or it would make people uncomfortable and then i would have this you know inner dialogue of like, what's wrong with me? Or anyway, it's been this journey that I'm, I'm still on. And sometimes today, you know, one of the positions that I'm very passionate about in the healing of the feminine is also the healing of the masculine. And one of the things we do at Global Sisterhood is we try to educate about how patriarchy at this point is internalized, not only in men but in, in women and their polar wounds and men are just as wounded. And sometimes I'm very disliked for that perspective and I continue to feel adamant about it. And I'd love to talk about, in your perspective, the wounding of the patriarchy in men and collectively and how you how you have seen and how you relate and what you teach about it.
0: Wow. Uh, wow! I just want to acknowledge your courage as well. That is so powerful, even in perspective like that, especially at the time we're in where there is a lot of masculine wounding, where there's a lot of violence being caused on the feminine, you know, from the masculine, but also from the patriarchy. And, you know, to come to a place where there's a visibility in both, right, there's a level of accountability, but there's an also an understanding of like, wait, wait where, where can I, you know, where can I look inside of myself and also find this inner patriarchy that's essentially been cult- cultivated inside of me. It takes so much courage. That takes so much courage. And just, I'm just moved by that. So thank you. Thank you. But also, you know, for me, uh, just to answer your question... It's been interesting because now I've been able to look back on my childhood experiences because I've integrated more of like the understanding of the patriarchy more in my recent years. Before I was just kind of looking at it from, you know, kind of working on myself and things like that. But I didn't understand how deeply the system was actually dictating what forms of myself I found suitable or ones that I should be expressing, right? In the moment or in my relationship. Like I didn't realize how much it was determining even my dynamics, you know, in my relationships. And so I realized even for myself as a young child, there was a, uh, like I would say like an initiation that I went through. And that initiation was to become part of this patriarchy, like to pledge my allegiance to it. And I didn't realize that I had went through that, but I chose something else. But then I realized not a lot of men get to choose that. They don't muster that courage to choose something else. And a lot of them become agents of the patriarchy. And what I first noticed in hindsight now is that I, me and many other men go through this level of initiation and it begins with our fathers, right? It determ- it's based, how is my father? Like, what is the relationship with my father? And what I realized is that men... You know, as fathers, they're responsible for initiating the men into manhood. But a lot of the times, the fathers are then socializing, right? The young boys into like essentially pledging allegiance to the patriarchy, right? By first teaching them to devalue their mothers, right? Because I knew for myself in certain times that, you know, my mom would be doing something, but there would be kind of like we would devalue her, right? So her say didn't really have. Like what she said didn't really hold truth until my father said something about it. Right. So she would kind of uphold that as well. So it'd be if she says, don't, you know, don't eat milk today, don't go outside today. We wouldn't believe it until she said, I'm going to tell your father. Right. So I'm already learning to devalue her word. I'm already learning that, you know, her word doesn't hold much until this other figure enters the room and then it matters, right? So as a young child, I was already kind of learning to, okay, like women's truth really doesn't matter as much. And then I'm entering into these competitive sports, right? And I feel like that's where the, the I would say the initiation really heats up because that's where men, even myself, are taught to break away, erase, even kill all these aspects of myself that are kind, that are loving, that are nurturing, right? That are curious and they're empathetic, Right, because they don't belong. What I'm being told is they don't belong in these environments. So in sports is really where I see men being socialized. Is we're first being taught to dominate, right? Be afraid of losing, right? Having craving power over connection. So teamwork becomes a level of competitiveness, right? it's like, wait, wait, wait. I need to be number one, right? I need to be number one, right? So people that are number five or number six or whatever it is, losing becomes a, a difficult thing to embrace right it it becomes a form of rejection and that shapes us in our adulthood because we feel rejected then and we were never told to meet uh losing or failure in a conscious and connected way right to be able to accept that and to even be happy for it you know and understand the lessons that were taught from that so from there i feel there's a Between that age, you know, when most men are in competitive sports, that's when they really, really break away from their vital, like the vital aspects of themselves, right? Those parts of themselves that are curious about other people, that are kind, that are loving as young boys, that love their mother, right? But on some level, they're being told to sever that bond to those aspects of themselves and to strip that away in order to be respected, right? Because that's the goal now. It's sometimes it's directly with my father's respect, right? In order to receive my father's respect, I have to embody these qualities. Or in order to be respected by other men, to be welcomed into this, essentially this brotherhood, I have to abandon these parts of myself. They don't belong. They can't go with me in this brotherhood, right? In that brotherhood, we think it's a brotherhood, but it's just an allegiance to this patriarchy because all the men that we meet in this space are ones that are you know, policing us, are making sure we uphold these ideas, right? If I ever wear pink, if I ever do something differently, right? If I ever embody another quality, I'm being told, I'm being policed, right? Hey, what are you doing? Like, you know, the, are you are you're simp? You know, what that's gay, right? You're 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 a pussy, whatever it is. There's all these words that allow them, that shrink and push men back into that box, right? That man box that push them back into. So now men become. You know, agents of that patriarchy. And then I'm essentially internalizing that messaging. And that messaging becomes a part of my own internal dialogue, right? And I'm like, wait, wait, did I just care too much? Why did I hug my brother? Right? Like, you know, do, am I caring about this person's feelings? What? And, and so I learned to, I think part of the deepest wounding is that we lose connection to our own emotions, but in doing so, we also lose the ability to hold space for other people's emotions, Right. So I can't hold space for my partner's emotions and how she's processing life, how she's processing what my actions are doing to her. Right. I, can't, I lose that connection. But in doing so, I also isolate myself because if I don't know how to connect to my own emotions, I don't have no connected emotions of other people. I'm essentially isolated from the world. But this isolation actually feeds more of that. Right. It actually feeds more shame. It actually feeds more guilt, more regret, because I know for myself this is not true this is not authentic. There's a part of me that's watching me and knows I'm betraying myself on the deepest level, right? So in that isolation, more of these ideas fester. So I've known men to, you know, hide away from those feelings through sex, through power, through success, through accomplishments, right? Through this heroic journey that some men have of like, you know, saving the world or, you know, saving the damsel or whatever it is. It's, it's, a way to run away from those emotions. And I've learned in my own time to be able to sit with them, right? And, and reclaim, I think there's a, you know, the opposite of abandonment. If I realize I abandoned myself, the opposite of abandonment would be reclamation. To reclaim those parts of myself that I told, I was told don't belong in this world. My sensitivity, I'm like, wait, I need to reclaim my sensitivity. I need to reclaim my masculine vulnerability, Right? So for me, that was the deepest aspect of my journey was in going back and reclaiming those parts of myself. But through that, there is a deep grief you know, that I have to be able to sit through because I realized that I betrayed myself. I betrayed my younger parts of myself, the things that mattered most to me to uphold the system that never served me. And I think men, when they look at what they think is benefiting them, they realize underneath them there's no benefit to upholding the system. There's not one. And if there was benefits, then we would see men being happy, being embodied, being successful, right? But instead we're seeing the opposite. Like whose death rates are higher, right? Who's more likely, who's, whose life expectancy is lower, right? Women have, I think a life expectancy of like 60 or 70. Men's is like, like 35 or 40. Right. I would expect that this system was actually serving me for my life expectancy to be higher, for my suicide rates to be lower. But that's not the case. So upholding the system, right, catering to it is actually killing men. And I think that needs to be more visible. And I, when it's more visible, we see that there's no benefit to upholding the system. We're harming ourselves and we're harming everyone around us.
1: It's a big shock to wake up to self-betrayal. You know, I relate to that in many ways. The more I learn to deprogram white supremacy culture, I learn about ways in which at a young age, I wasn't given access to my full capacity to love because I was taught to fear. And the sadness I have about that, not learning from other cultures, not learning from other perspectives, not having diverse friends growing up that's uh, something that I'm still in the process of healing and feeling grief about. And I think about men and the allure of the benefit that they have through the capitalistic structure, which feels very rooted in patriarchal ideals and the glorification of logic over feeling. And it's, um, one of the hardest struggles i think for women especially women who have tried having conversations with really intelligent successful men or men that are wounded and unable to feel their pain about how to see what has happened to them as well i think it's a it's a it's a really big shock and i think if we shift the narrative Hey, I want to show you how this system that has hurt me has hurt you too. And I want I feel like that's the work you are doing really powerfully and do you have any advice for women in having that conversation in a way that you think would really support conversation with their brothers, their lovers, their partners, their family, anybody in their life that they're feeling they they want to connect deeper with but that that patriarchal wound is in the way
0: yeah yeah i think one of the biggest things is a lot of the wounds that i would say the patriarchy inflicts on men is kind of played on their mother wound like a, a man has a father wound which runs very deep but the mother wound it ha it seems to have no end right if one of, one of the most terrifying things for a man to explore is his own mother wound right so i think you know when men are looking to explore those parts of themselves and they have partners they have friends they have sisters that are aware of these things i think one of the biggest things is to create safe containers for them to feel heard feel uh understood but to also just feel that who i am right now is not my authentic self right isn't isn't who i really am but it's i think there's a balance to where you point somebody to a place where they can rise to, right, without removing love from the situation, right? It's like a very subtle art where it's like, I love you. I love how you're showing up, but I know you can show up better. Like, I know you can rise to something different, right? Who you are right now isn't who I know you to be at your core. And I think when that because what 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 I feel in that space is is whoever that you know woman is if it's a sister if it's a partner if it's a friend she's exuding a motherly presence that he doesn't have right he can't actually channel that inner mother in himself to look at himself and to hold him in his brokenness right so I feel like when women you know friends sisters lovers can embody this level of love and openness that isn't afraid of his brokenness that isn't saying like you're broken or fragmented in this state and I need to fix you. But I'm loving you in this fragmentation, right? I'm not afraid of your fragmentation, right? But I know who you are, right? I see you. I clearly see you. And here are the ways in which I feel you can continue to rise through that. You know, so I feel that level of, um that, that the safety of that container opens a man up in, in different ways, especially with the lovers, that communication of that, she still trusts me, right? She still loves me. And there's no removal of that love, right? But there's also a, a I'm being challenged, which men at their core love to be challenged. But when, they, when they're when they being challenged because who they are right now isn't okay, it creates something different. But when they're challenged because that person loves them, right? And is bringing out the best in them, right? Not from a place of I'm trying to change you, but I'm just challenging you to rise to who, you, who I know you to be. You know, I feel like it brings out, it brings out the the part of the masculine that is open and receptive to that.
1: Hey, beloveds, pardon this interruption. I just wanted to pop in and let you know that Sacred Facilitator, our advanced training and rite of passage for space holders is enrolling now. And we begin August 22nd. Sacred Facilitator is for women who are already holding some type of space, who are holding circles, who have a community of women they work with, perhaps coaches, yoga teachers, intuitives, healers, any of you that are listening to this podcast would likely be a good fit. And it's an opportunity for us to deepen in our craft by unlearning and deconditioning the behaviors of patriarchy and colonialization white supremacy and shadow biases, sisterhood shadows, and then refilling our cup with really amazing opportunity to dive into ritual, to connect with our guides, connect with our ancestors and spiritual lineage, and be held by elders and wisdom keepers through the process. We have incredible guests who come on and teach, many of whom you've heard on this podcast. It's a special opportunity to hang out with Shana and I and many women of the Global Sisterhood, and we would love you to be a part of it. So I won't say much more. If you want to learn more, go to globalsisterhood.org slash sacred dash facilitator. And I hope to see you there. All right, back to the show. This is why I think women's circles are really important for women and obviously men's circles would Super important for men. But in women's circles, I feel like we can come and we can rage and we can release and we can discharge the, like I said this before, but the madness of being so misunderstood and unseen and unmet and the stubbornness, you know, the the block to it. Because we we have that rage. That rage is thousands of years old. Old, and unless we can release that rage, I'm sure on some subtle ancestral level, our sons can feel it too. And I don't know if it ever can be fully released. Like it's it's so old, but we can alchemize it together, compost it together, so that when we show up to our partners, we can have that conversation without the temptation to let the like the the venom out because they can feel the venom and the venom shuts them down right away. And it's it's valid. And it's not just at that one person. It's at generations and systems. And so it's really a deep, deep process. And I'm curious to hear about the mother wound in your perspective. Um, The way I relate to the mother wound is like the origin of the mother wound is with the the degradation of the great mother. The idea that the only God is male and we lost the connection with the divine feminine aspect of God of creation and therefore began to subjugate and dominate mother earth and all that was feminine, the feminine and as in women and the feminine and men and the feminine and everything and started to value logic and mind and not emotions. Like that to me is the, great mother wound. And then you have men being raised by women who are victims of that, and I'd love to hear from your perspective about the mother wound.
0: <laughs> I'm just like recovering from hearing you say that because it's so beautiful and it's so true. It's something I've been emphasizing so deeply in my work and in my conversations with like myself, you know, and even on my own podcast I've been trying to point people to, like, your mother wound doesn't originate here on earth. It originates with who your original parents are. If my parents, the ones I see here today, right, they're my parents for my human form, but my soul supersedes, right, my own human experiences. So my soul's origin is father, mother, God. So if there's a wound there, it's it's going to trickle down into my human experience. But my relationship with Father, Mother, God supersedes all relationships, right? And it dictates all relationships. So the level of intimacy that I experience with this higher power actually determines the level of intimacy that I experience with other people. And it's been really, you know, I, I cry because it's, it's, it's really deep. You know, I feel as a collective, we've lost connection to that, especially as men. And that makes up the reason that we form an artificial mother. Because we don't have a connection to the great mother. We don't know how to connect it. We lost the connection to it, right? So from that, we create an artificial mother that we feel we won't abandon, that won't abandon us, right? Because if I construct this mother, this artificial mother, that means I have full control over her. And that means she won't leave me. She won't abandon me because that's the wound I'm facing is the fear of abandonment. So... That's what I mean. Like it trickles down into every other layer of it. Right. So now in my own personal relationships, if I have that fear of abandonment that is embedded into my soul, then when I have a partner, right? I'm close, I'm being experiencing intimacy, but I fear she's going to leave me, right? That's my one mother wound. Then I have to then develop all the tactic, all these tactics and strategies to keep her here. But then that shows up in unhealthy ways to where I'm gaslighting her, I'm mentally abusing her, I'm emotionally abusing her. But it's all a means to keep her here, right? All I'm trying to avoid is the fear of her ever leaving me. So the only way I know how to do that is to break her down, is to control her to a point where she's glued to me. She's constantly seeking my validation and approval. A woman like that won't leave me. Right. So this is how it shows up in unhealthy ways. But what I'm trying to meet is this other void inside of me that actually is with a greater, it's with a greater mother. Right. So it's it's so important. I feel like, you know, for myself, my deepest healing has come from connecting to the Great Mother, come from connecting to the Divine Mother. And it's from that relationship that I actually found the courage to do what I do today. You know, because in that, you know, men have this fear of abandonment. But it's when you connect to that energy, when you connect to the Great Mother, you realize the fear of abandonment evaporates. Because in that intimacy, there's no part of you that ever feels lonely. There's no part of you that can feel like you'll be abandoned because you know she's been with you since you were born and you're still in her womb today. So in that, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a clearing, it's a purification that happens of all these aspects of myself that need to control, that need to do all of these things in order to receive love. Because there's a love that is always present, that is that it's unwavering. And the level of love that she pours into me, realizing that it's always been here, even in moments where I felt it wasn't, it actually heals something very deep inside of me that goes beyond my humanity, right? Goes beyond my human drama that I'm experiencing. And it's only in that place can I find true security. Because I think in relationships, what we look for, you know, through the lens of safety is security. But we're all human, right? We're imperfect. You know, where we have our own things that come up and we have a human heart, which can be poked and touched and is so fragile, you know, and, and in that, there's, there's love that we give to other people, but that love is a choice that we make every day. So understanding that this choice, this person can choose not to make it tomorrow. This person can choose not to make it in the next moment. There may be something that goes on within their heart where they stop making that choice. I cannot find security there. I can't. Why would I search for security there? But there is a security, there's a safety that I can find in knowing that this divine mother always has always made the choice, has always loved me. That choice is, is not something she even chooses because she doesn't see me as separate from herself. right? So in that I find a deep, deep level of comfort, safety and security. And a lot of my needs, there's there's this is what I mean. I I've noticed that there are needs that I try to meet here that cannot be met by another human being, right? There's a comfort that I seek that cannot be met in the arms of another human being. There's a joy that I want to experience, there's a bliss that I feel I can attain, that cannot be met in the comfort of love with another human being. It's only met in the intimacy with what I feel is God. You know, what I feel is Mother Earth, right? So I've known my deepest healing to come from that relationship. You know, and um, I think it's so important for men to connect to that, especially with the earth, because men don't have a womb. There's teachings about men having a womb, but it's it's still it's still a layer to break through, right? Because women have a womb that is visible, right? She has a womb that keeps her in tune with the four seasons, with the moon, with the earth, right? And even if a woman is, quote unquote, disconnected from herself, she still has something that keeps her connected to the earth, that still keeps her in communion. As a man, I don't have that. Not that I know of, right? So it's like, what is there for me that keeps me in communion with the earth? So if I'm looking at the earth as a mother, and I'm looking at my sisters as sisters, then I feel left out of the equation. I feel left out. I'm like, wait, 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 you you gave her this to keep in contact with you, what what do I have, right? I don't have anything to still feel your love. I don't have anything to still feel connected to you. What do I have? I don't have anything, right? So from that, I'm I feel abandoned again, right? I feel I've been left out, right? And 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 when things happen, what do I have to connect to you? And there's an ancestral, you know, I feel with mother wounds. It's one that's personal, but then it's ancestral, and then it's collective. And then there's a spiritual one, right? To where that's the one we're talking about. But on the ancestral level, there's a lot of men that I've known in my ancestry that have gone to deep pains from the earth, right? To where, imagine if my great-great-grandfather was in Syria, right? And these bombs were dropped on his home, right? There's a tsunami that came away and washed all of his family members away. And he was only left with himself, He had four kids and a wife, gone. Who is he looking to answers for? Nobody's going to answer him. No human can give him those answers. But there's a yearning inside of his soul that is looking to the earth to help him reconcile what he's feeling inside. But he doesn't receive answers because he has no way to commune with her. So what happens is he carries that level of wounding inside of himself and that ripples into the bloodline, right? So then I feel a wound with the earth right? Because I have no way to communicate with her about what's happening. You know, civilizations crash and people die all of the time. But it's from the expression of the earth. But We don't have a way to commune and understand why did this happen? You know, what was this serving? What was the purpose of all of this? So in a sense, we feel abandoned then. It's like, wait, 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 I, I had a home, I had a family, you know? So I feel there's just so many layers to, to the mother wounding. And I feel when, you know, men can come to a place to where we start to find ways to mother Mother Nature, to take care of her in the ways that we do, to reestablish that level of communication, there's a deep, deep healing that we go through because I know from this book called Braiding Sweetgrass, and one of the quotes is, you know, even when you are lost, the land knows you, you know, and and that's been profound for me is knowing that even when I was lost, the earth still knew me, it knew me in my core. And, you know, there's a connection that I can find there. There's a remembrance of myself you know, and and, and who I am that can be found in her arms, that can be found underneath the tree, you know, that can be found by touching the earth and listening to the trees. So, yeah, I'm so grateful you said that. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, I'm crying. That was so beautiful. I feel like I've been waiting my whole life to hear a man say those words. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I'm so happy you said that. I was like, Wow. (laughs) Wow.
1: and i just want to say you ain't my brother from another mother you're my brother from the same <laughs> mother <laughs>
0: i love it i love it i feel I such a kinship
1: so with you i'm just like yeah. oh my god you're awesome we've got to be friends this is your- yes yes so cool wow
0: i love that
1: you was, said that so beautiful I'm just in awe and a little speechless in this moment and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about all the beautiful men I know. Honestly, you just, your your heart just reminded me of all the beautiful men, my fiance, Peter, my brother, Drew, my brother, David, my cousin, Trey, my cousin, Christian, my fathers. And I just, and my friends, I just, I feel so blessed in the awakening of the feminine on a planet and how it is awakening in men. And we see certain layers of it, right? It's a trend on Instagram for like a lot of like sexual alchemy of like men and alpha and women and like in beta, I guess, just, you know, more submissive and open and receiving. But really for a woman to really surrender and receive there has to be integrity and i want you to speak about that in intimate relationships if you if you will
0: the integrity of, of the masculine right
1: yeah and and you know what you see like cuz what i'm trying to say is that there there's different layers of that awakening like in my community i know solid brothers who cultivate their connection with the great mother. And I can come to them and I can cry in their arms and I can trust their guidance because of the way they're oriented. I trust their orientation, their rootedness, and their devotion. Really, it's about devotion. The the mother likes devotion. Yes. And, (laughs) and, And I can trust them. And then there's like my partner, I can come to him and he holds me and meets me deeper than any man ever. And I used to, this is a bit of a tangent, but I think women might relate to this. I used to see these men and they were like beautiful in many ways and had traits that I wanted to learn from. And I saw that they weren't connected to the mother quite like I was, or maybe not at all. And the exchange in the relationship was that I almost was a priestess to their awakening of that. And they supported me materially, not like financially, but there was con- some kind of exchange where I would feel more like, mm, it's slightly independent, like, like where I'd feel like they'd support. No, I adorned. Yes but also something that I felt not skilled in, in my own masculine, they Ah, would fill in that role for me rather than me learning how to fill that role. And I went through this process and I would eventually need to leave. And I always found that it was hard for me to surrender. I, I would end up being really stressed in the relationship because I couldn't fully trust and What happened when I would leave was a really hard thing. It would be that the men who hadn't encountered the true great mother or the goddess almost considered me the goddess in a way versus being oriented in their own devotion and relationship. I was like a gateway, but it got enmeshed in some way. And so there was like um, a lot of learning for me in that. A lot of learning for me that that those were really valuable relationships. Those men are very beautiful and very grateful for those relationships, and they were challenging because shadow aspects inside of me would come out because I'd have a a need and a desire, but also a lack of respect. I think, and so there was, so there was this like kind of shadowy dynamic, and we see now in this is again a tangent, but I'm going somewhere. I think we'll see, but um, now there's this movement in the tantric world or in the more conscious masculinity, divine feminine, divine masculine conversation that's all oriented towards relationship and sexual alchemy, but it's not deeply rooted in what you're speaking about and you're speaking about it. And so I want to hear you speak about that.
0: Yeah, I I love that you share that. The tangent was definitely exactly what we needed in this conversation, because I want to talk about the other side of what you mentioned, where men, you know, get in relationships with women that are embodied, are embodying this, you know, deep, powerful priestess energy, and they're magnetic, but then it becomes a level of worship that takes place that isn't grounded right? And I would say for me, I experienced that in my own sense, but with this divine being, this divine energy. And I wasn't in partnership. I was like celibate for about two years. But in that celibacy, in that time of just being by myself, I continued and continued to dive deeper into what is the divine feminine? Because I realized for myself that I was sharpening my own masculinity. But I had a connection with what I used to call, I mean, I still call her my inner bay. I would tell my friends, oh, my inner bay is like, you know, guiding me through something right now. But it's just my own inner feminine energy. But I had a very, like her voice. I'm very attuned to it. I can hear it very clearly. And I've had very mystical experiences where I'm communicating with this energy inside of myself, externalized in some form. And I was interested as I connected more to this, it brought me closer to these you know, deities, these goddesses. And one of the ones I really connect to most is Mama Kali. And when I was connecting to these energies and understanding them more, because I was like, whoa, I need to understand what the divine feminine is, or I can't really show up as the masculine. Because in order to miseducate a man on masculinity, you have to first miseducate him on what femininity is. So I was like, wait, 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 let me go backwards. Let me understand what the feminine really is in order to understand my role, in order to understand my position, right? Right. And so, as I was exploring for about a year, I was in Mexico. I was doing like very deep dives for about six months, and I was just in this container I created for myself to very deep dive into, you know, what all that meant for me. And the depths were deep. It just kept going. It just kept going. And through that, I didn't to
1: the feminine.
0: I was like, what? was like what is going on it's just there's like I pull something and it just keeps going it just keeps going and I was like what is happening and in myself I didn't realize this until my partner that I'm with now actually pointed me to it and I realized that I actually then belittled my own role as the masculine because I kept seeing the infinite nature of what is known as the divine feminine and I was like whoa like the the point I came to because I had this inquiry come up inside of me, and it asked me, it was like, you know, the feminine exists before the roles of lover, mother, healer, and sister. It exists before and beyond. And I was like, wait, what does that mean? You know, like, what is, what is, what is the feminine before and beyond these roles? Like, these are roles that were assigned to her in light of her expression and her gifts, but she exists before and beyond them. I was like, well, okay, let's find out. And I went inside of myself to def- find where where did the feminine exist before this? And where does she exist beyond them? And when I went there, <laughs> it was just nothing but, I would say nothing but everything is what I kept seeing. And I was like, wait, like she is everything. There's nothing here that isn't her. And it's from that realization that really continued to sink and marinate into my being that I then... I didn't know I was doing it, but I belittled my role as the masculine. So I then started sharing messages like, you know, men are just purses for women. Their men are essentially just here to compliment women, to encourage them in the realization that they are everything. So in that, I didn't really see my role because I was operating from a state of like guilt. And also I felt inadequate. I was just like, whoa, like you're all of this. And then I'm just the masculine. Like I didn't understand my role. So you know, in what you said, I could kind of understand, you know, the the, the man's position and seeing you in that energy and being like, what can I add to this? Like, what can I bring to this? How can I support her in all of that she is? So there's a, there's a diminishing of our own power. There's a diminishing of our own uniqueness by being faced with the uniqueness of your own being, right? It's like, oh, okay. Like, so I think for me, it was important in my own partnership to where I actually started to wake up a bit more. And in that partnership is when I came out of that. Because I knew for myself, it was more about the balance. And I was like, how can I come back into this state of balance? Because I've seen what I needed to see. But how can I remember myself through what I have seen? Right? It was It's like a blinding light. And I had to wake back up to see my own light again, in light of the divine feminine. And I was like, okay, who am I though? Who am I though? What, what, what is my role here? Where is my position? And through that, I discovered my gifts and discovered the role that I had. But So I think in relationships, it's important for, for men to go as far as they can within their own capacities because what that brings them to is what, what I came to is that that's where you actually learn what it means to protect, what it means to provide. Because if we're understanding from protection, from these kind of, I would say, these superficial levels of, you know, I'm providing you, you know, a safe container and and a home and all of these things, right? And what I understand as protect is I won't harm you. I won't anyone else harm you. But until I understand the essence of what divine femininity is, I don't really truly know what I'm protecting and what I'm providing for, right? So it's only, it takes me to go to those depths to understand what it is that I'm really, here to support, to protect, and provide, and how she actually, you know, strengthens aspects of myself. But I have to see, you know, what she's capable of. I have to know her in her depths in order to understand my role in this whole thing. And then from that, what happens is I don't revere her as a teacher and myself as a student, because that quickly happens. When men faced with the magnitude of what the divine feminine is, is they then see themselves just as a student. But a woman, the divine feminine, doesn't want to be a teacher right? She doesn't want her man, her partner, to be her student. She wants him to stand by his side confidently, knowing where his own position is, his role, and his uniqueness, and his power, right? And that's why, you know, these images in, in ancient Egypt, you see them holding hands, they're right beside each other, right? There's no one, you know, uh, above each other, and, but that takes men to come back into their own seat of power, in light of seeing the power of their partners, you know, when they're faced with that, but still be able to waver. Like to still be able to move through that storm, like that that magnitude, that ocean that she is, and still be able to stand. Like, oh, I love that about you, and and then, and then this is who I am, you know. So I think from there, men actually can embody integrity, right? Because integrity is about you know, it's it's more about with your agreements, like the agreements I make with my partner, the agreements I make with the world, and how I remain true to that. And I think sometimes integrity is confused with consistency. Consistency, like I'm going to show up every day the same way, right? But I can't, you know, sometimes I'll forget. Sometimes I'll make uninformed decisions, but integrity is like, these are my agreements to you. I love you. I care for your heart, right? I'm going to show up fully, right? I'm going to do my best every day. Like That's integrity, you know? So the only way for me to really understand that is to go to the depths, to understand what does it really mean for my own role, to provide, to protect, to praise, to, you know, support you in your own awakening, because the feminine is going through an awakening just as I am. And in that awakening, I have to understand, like, what is she awakening to? And how can I support her in that? But it requires me to go for a very deep, deep place inside of myself. And I think, you know, that's how I would see men really showing up in integrity. And I think when we don't go through those depths, it's how it shows up in all these distorted states, right? And even sometimes superficial to where I'm just protecting and providing from, I would say, an archaic expression of, hey, here's a home. And no, I won't let anybody harm you. And no, I won't hit you. It's super, it's very archaic in a way, you know?
1: You know, when a man shows up like that, doing his best, you know, full of what he thinks is his best, you know, and with a lot of good intention and he works really hard to provide in that way, And a woman is still unsatisfied. I'm sure it's so frustrating to them because we want that full spectrum of what you're saying. And I have found that in those situations, I, especially if that man is doing what you said earlier, trying to keep me, therefore like belittling me or subtly manipulating me, I get shadowy right back. You know, my reaction is to go into that pattern with that person. And so it has really been through many relationships that I've evolved as an embodied woman that honors myself and honors my partner and will not play those games. And it's been a a very humbling journey and very powerful. And I feel like what you're saying about oh my God, so freaking beautiful, dude. You're definitely a poet and you've definitely gone deep. It's real. And what you were saying about uh, the, the inadequacy you felt in the face of the feminine, that is all that births the cosmos, that is all. I feel like that inadequacy is the origin of the patriarchy. That plus the story you spoke about An ancestor and the tsunami and losing his family. Anne Baring, do you know her work? Baring? Anne Baring.
0: Anne Baring. No, I'm sad sad to say I'm not. We
1: have a mini course with her called Healing Eve. She shared her theory Mm. on these two catastrophic floods that took place. We know this in the myth or in the the biblical story of the flood of Noah, they know that these two floods actually happened. And then from this devastating loss, and probably from this, you know, this question of like, okay, why would the mother do this? And also this feeling of inadequacy, there was this need in men to rise to the father God, right? Rise to ascend nature, conquer nature, and this you know, over a thousand year or so period, this kind of shift in cosmology, shift in thinking began through men and through warrior tribes. So, I mean, I'm a novice in speaking about this history. So that's, you know, my general synopsis. There's so much more to dive into, but you can read Ann Baring's book, A Dream of the Cosmos, and also listen to our podcast because she's just like so cool. And what you're saying kind of gave me context to some of my theories
0: Hmm. yeah I remember going into that phase and being like whoa I see I remember I think I met maybe some ancestral wounds as well and I remember coming to that place of inadequacy in light of what I was viewing and what I was feeling and I was like whoa like I kept I used to make it a joke and I was like no wonder we try to control you and I would speak to this divine presence and I would speak to my own inner family I'm like Okay, like it's all making sense. <laughs> and sometimes I would tell my partner that because she, for some, I don't. Again, it's the 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 presence, it's the the energy and this connection to all things. And she would just get whatever she wants. Like even with me, like I wouldn't want to cuddle, and I'd be like, I'm working, babe. We were in Costa Rica a couple of months back, and I was like, I'm working, babe. I can't cuddle and watch a movie with you. And every time I would say that, it would start raining and the internet would cut out. And then I'll be like, oh, my God, okay, let's cuddle for 15 minutes until the, the internet comes back on. And then sometimes I would get sick. And when I'm sick, I don't like to do anything. I just like to rest in, rest in bed. And she would like, you know, but when I would get sick, would it would be just before she told me, like, hi, I want to spend more time together. Can you, like, stop working? And then I would start sneezing all of a sudden. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to look at a computer. <laughs> and she's like, oh, perfect time. And I would just like be like, oh, like, can I be like, can you turn it off? But I remember I would laugh with her all of the time. Sometimes I'll just call her a witch, and I'm like, how do you always get what you want? But she's so connected to her own magnetism of being in that feminine energy that she, it's it's a part of her that magnetizes all that she desires. There's no level of pursuing. There's no level of I have to get it. I have to grab. I have to you know chase after it. It's just she sits in that seat of being a magnet towards it all. And sometimes that leads me to get sick so that we can cuddle together. But in light of that, I remember just, I crack a joke with her and I'd be like, oh my God, you see, this is why our ancestors would suppress you guys. Because there's no way that I can feel that and then not feel inadequate. I'm like, just how? how? It's just, it's just so powerful. And I remember just like feeling that. And I know it took me to realize my own power, to recognize my own strength. Because being, awakening to that is quite intimidating. And I can't, and that's why I say it takes, not all men are capable of it. You know, and it takes a certain man. It takes a certain strength. It takes, you know, brave is is the man that can love a wild woman. You know, how can you love a wild woman without taming her? And understanding that you're there to actually encourage her untamable nature. You're not there to cage her. You're there to support it right? To tell her to rebel against anything that wants to cage her, even if it's you. So that's why I'm saying most men can't come to that place inside of themselves because it does take a recognition of what she truly is. And I think sometimes when people meet that, they're like, wait, I can't actually contain it. There's nothing to control. I can't control it. So what am I supposed to do? You know. So it's, it's, it's difficult. There's a, there's a paradox because there's, there's a level of you can not contain it, but it actually desires you to contain it. It's like mm-hmm. understanding the woman as the pearl within the shell, right? No pearl wants to just sit out inside of the ocean. It wants to be contained within a shell. And understanding the power of being that shell actually wakes up a man to his own gifts. But, you know, if I'm, you know, understanding it's like, oh, it's just a pearl. It's so beautiful. But not understanding the power, the, the, the awareness of the pearl and its desire to be contained within a shell and understanding that I am the desire and I can fulfill it. Brings me back into the seat of my own power, but you know, it's it's uh, well, that's why I always say it's like most men are capable of that. But I think we're rising to the point where it's you know it's more understood. You know.
1: So, <laughs> what does your power feel like to you now?
0: Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> it feels. I wouldn't say it feels strong. It feels it feels confident. I would say it feels confident. It feels confident. It's nice to feel the space of confidence that doesn't, like underneath it is like a, a ocean of low self-esteem. It's like this confidence that is like knowing my position and knowing what I provide to the world and knowing, like taking pride in that, like knowing for myself. I, I, I my I think my journey is maybe a little different from other men, but I have a deep level of devotion to these other higher powers. And because I communicate with them often, my pride, my confidence comes in being receptive. My pride and confidence comes from being obedient, comes in being able to listen, comes from being able to tune into these messages. So that's where I source my level of confidence and, and power and strength is from being that, that instrument. Because I know for myself, it's not it's not easy to be tuned in that way. It's not easy to be receptive to these messages it's not easy to then follow and take action so for me I find power I source my power in that as as an expression of the masculine that's here to you know create systems create new systems to provide safety to create new containers right to create new embodied masculine structures right so I, that's where I source my power and it creates a it sources a different level of confidence in me that yeah I, I love it.
1: That's where I source my power from too.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so it's different. You know, it, it can't be broken. I don't think it can be shattered, you know, because it's 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 not, you know, it's it's coming from some place, you know, beyond the 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 drama of this life, you know.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a <clears throat> when I'm deeply connected and in in deeply in prayer often, I feel very clear. And in exploring new feminine ways takes a specific level of dedication to, to have the clear channel. And I've been in this phase of, you know, learning to connect in a different way, more through my womb, more through my body, and really listen to the messages in my physicality more, descending more. And there's been this whole reorientation process that's been confusing for me but trusting that I'm jumping off into the abyss into the next level of initiation into mother's arms and learning to connect in a deeper more embodied way
0: I actually want to I was going to ask you a question about how your initiations have been or what humbles you or what grounds you in the tense in the intensity of those initiations even as a you know as, as as an embodied woman
1: Well, the most intense initiation is one that I don't speak about with many people because I don't think many people will believe me. I'll definitely believe you. (laughs) Whether it was a projection of my own psyche through disassociation or very real. I had an encounter with a, a dark entity for my childhood and then it kind of blocked it out and it impacted my choices and then through a lot of deep work and teachers and shamanic study went through a process of encountering it that was about nine months long and I fought for my life and I fought for my sanity and I fought for my freedom and I was surrounded by very, very skilled spiritual teachers and healers and even still was in the depths of hell and in that process had to embrace that maybe I would never come back from that and maybe I would never I would have to just live with these visions I was having I would have to just like live with this constant experience of seeing feeling hearing what I was feeling seeing and hearing and part of the initiation was learning to surrender that this might be my new normal, that this angry, dark, masculine energy that wanted to cage me and kill me and torture me, that might be my new reality. And I would had to learn how to surrender to that and to, even with all of the spiritual, mystical attacks that I was experiencing, the nightmares I was experiencing, look this energy in the face and learn to be okay with it and learn to try to love it. And when I surrendered into that, help came. And a teacher of mine from the Amazon rainforest who I dearly love and I attribute to my sanity and my rebirth, and she spent some time um, taking me through a deep Ceremony, um, three days, and it saved my life. About a week after we were done, the dream sort of started to subside, and about six months went by, and the vision stopped, and new life birthed into me. And about a year later, Global Sisterhood was born. And <laughs> it was intense. You asked, and What it gave me, well, and then after Global Sisterhood was born, to continue the story, I was, after our first event, I was invited to go to the Commission of the Status of Women at the UN as a delegate for Pathways for Peace. I sat in on a panel um, with this woman that I know named Sheva Carr leading it, and she did something pretty radical and revolutionary. She brought a, a reformed sex trafficker to speak about his life experience. And he shared that he shared his story of what happened to him. And while I was in this room of all these angry feminists, I could only feel compassion for him. And that was the moment that I forgave the masculine and forgave my abuse and forgave the oppressor and informed my work and my mission. Wow.
0: Wow. Wow. I'm so moved by your initiation and the space that you came to, the love inside of yourself that you uh, came to. And I have so many questions maybe after we get off, but...
1: I have one last question for you. We ask all our guests the same question, and I know that this is going to be a fun one for you. If in this moment you could connect with the great mother and allow yourself to be a channel for her to speak to all of us, what would she speak through you? Mm.
0: Mm. There is a fire that's been burning inside the heart of every woman. And that fire has been orchestrated through the support of the masculine. But that fire can also be used to destroy many things and it is needed to destroy many things, but that fire she can use to also purify and renew many things. So there's a purification that takes place within the rage, within the fire, within the fire of anger. And that purification can be used to support the masculine in the renewal of their own expression, their own embodiment, their own awakening. So, the choice is yours. There can, there's, there's, there's two components to which the fire can be used. The fire that has been burning inside of your heart and in the hearts and wombs of many women. And at this time, there is women, there is a collective of women that are here to continue to burn and destroy. And there's a co- collective of women that are here to pur- purify and renew and create the soil for something new to be born to create the soil for new systems and structures to be born. But each has to know where their gifts need to be placed and to accept the calling of that, even if it's difficult, even if it looks difficult to contribute to the burning, to contribute to the destruction, but to also know that's an aspect of your creative capacities and to also find this space inside of your heart where you can use that fire to actually purify and renew. But that requires you to come to a place of compassion, requires you to come to a place of empathy, to extending grace and welcoming and allowing the humanness, the brokenness of each of us, especially the masculine. So yeah, if there was anything, it would be the, the powerful components of the fire inside of each of us, but especially inside of the hearts of every woman and how that can be used for the destruction or the purification. Mm. But she has that agency. She has that freedom to use it as she wishes, to always remember it's her choice.
1: And so it shall be. Thank you so so much, my brother from the Great Mother. I'm so (laughs) happy that we had this conversation. Where can people find you?
0: So, thank you. Thank you so much, Lauren. This is, I'm so filled (laughs) right now. (laughs) I'm overjoyed. But people can find me at byermias.com. On there, I have my links to my podcast a link to an ebook that I shared on how to heal from toxic relationships. I have a sign up for my monthly community calls, which I deep dive once a month with my community over some of the topics that we talked about today. And then also one-on-one coaching for people who want direct one-on-one guidance with me and my Instagram and all of my socials are under by So thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to join you on this conversation today.
1: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time of the Feminine Podcast. It's so fun and such a privilege to have these conversations with these incredible guests. We ask that you follow them, support them, like their work, buy their books. And it's an even greater privilege and honor that you, sister, are listening And so we want to give back to you. If this episode was meaningful, let us know by giving us a review and come join us in Circle. Every new moon, we have a donation-based circle. No woman is turned away. So come, sit, show your face, listen, be a part of the community, and let us dive deeper and do this work together in action, in practice, together in sisterhood. And for those of you who are already holding space and want to dive deeper into this art, you are invited to take Sacred Facilitator or any of our facilitation programs that we have throughout the year. So go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more or follow us at the Global Sisterhood on Instagram. Episodes drop every single Thursday, and we have some really beautiful episodes in store. So until then, loves, much love and a big, big hug.